If you had to come up with a plan B to retool as a leader in today's economy, these are the exact steps you can take to thrive. Welcome to the Visionary Leaders Circle podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeannie Barrow. So I'm super excited today because I have a very special guest. His name is Steve Dowdy. Steve and I, this is a perfect example of what I called leveraging and expanding your network. So uh, this month, actually, I was speaking at a panel at the Executive Council Network uh, with Wendy Howell, who runs that wonderful program. And I happened to be one of the panelists. And Steve happened to be one of the people in the audience. And post that event, Steve reached out and said, Ginny, can we connect over a 15-minute cyber coffee? And I said, absolutely. Here's my link. And he and I connected. I love his story. I love what he does. And I believe that the golden nuggets he's going to share with us today are going to benefit you, whether you are running your own business or whether you are in corporate, what, any leadership role that you currently have, you're going to get some golden nuggets. So this is about the power of networking and expanding your network. So Steve, welcome. Thank you very much, Jenny. So, Steve, just to start off, uh, I know we're going to be talking about leadership and, you know, what leadership skills are most required right now. But before we dive into that, can you tell our wonderful audience who you are and what you do? <laughs> well, I've been in the technology industry for a long time, but I kind of had a, a, diff, a little bit of a different start from a lot of the people I know. I, I didn't live in the United States until I was about, I think I was a junior in high school. And so I lived in Mexico for 11 years. I lived in Belgium for five years. And um, it really gives you an interesting perspective on um, just what other cultures are like, but also what does it mean to be an American? Uh, and it was, it was pretty eye-opening. Um, but I got into, I was really into the technology side of things. And I went to uh, Dartmouth and um, I decided to get into computer science. And then I, I had a summer job in my junior year. I met this guy and I, I worked for him that summer at a company that is no longer around. It's not called Verizon, but it used to be called GTE. And he handed me an article. He said, this is, this is a one way to get to run a company. And it was about this guy, Jimmy Tribig, who founded and ran Tandem Computers, made it into a multi-billion dollar company. And it laid out his plan. And I said, I like that. And so I went ahead and followed it. it. And it was really about getting experience across a lot of different areas. So I got into sales. Um, I got into finance. I got into, you know, trying to get into management um, early on. And so I sort of patterned my career after that. And finally, uh, my goal was to, um, you know, have my own company by the time I was 40. And, and I had that and several since then. And, and, and since then, uh, I've, you know, I've been a part of nine startups, three exits, um, and really focusing a lot on just learning. How do you, you know, one, a great way to learn about something is to start a company in it. And that's kind of been my approach. Um, but now what I'm really focused on with a, with a partner is we, we sit down with companies and we help them kind of get through tough spots, maybe where they're understaffed, maybe where they don't have the skill set that they need to get to certain milestones. Certainly, if you just got funded 
um, you've got all of a sudden the, all the pressure in the world to reach certain objectives. And um, sometimes you don't have the people to do that. And so that's where we come in sometimes. But And that's a lot of fun for us and, yeah. and for me specifically, just to be able to impart some of that, all those years of, uh, of hard work. You know, what I find so interesting, Steve, is that you know, for me, only having one company, I started Fearless Women at Work, and then I rebranded to Executive Bound. When I hear you say I've started multiple companies, you know, 13 startups, I've uh, been a CEO, I've done all these different roles. I'm like, wow. And here I am thinking that I'm doing so much stuff. And uh, it's been one company. So I so appreciate your perspective and your background, which is why I believe that asking the question of, uh, you know, Steve, what do you think are the critical leadership skills that leaders need today in this hybrid workplace, uh, this uncertainty, all of the madness that's happening in the world? What do you believe those skills are? And I know that you're reading my book, Healing Leadership. <laughs> I am. I'm, in fact, I, I was uh, reading and I was, I was writing things down. I, I was thinking about this podcast and I wanted to come up with I, what I thought was sort of some pithy um, bullet points that I think are easier to sort of take away than um, some rambling bunch of paragraphs. But so I, I came up with six points. And this is this is kind of the way I remember. And this is the way I, I've when I, you know early on in my career when I was started to get into these leadership roles. These are the things that worked. For me. Okay. Um, and so the first one is, uh, uh, in quotes, remember it's people. Mm. And a lot of times, especially in tech, it's so easy to get um, carried away with the numbers and the, the, you know, the metrics and all the things. There's a massive amount of pressure on the leadership of companies to meet those. Um, and at the end of the day, you're not you're lead, you, know, you need all the people that are in your organization to work together and, and as a unit deliver on those metrics. So it's actually people first. And when you're a leader, I think you have to recognize and not get um, distracted from the fact that these are people that get up in the morning and they have kids and uh, spouses and, and they you know, have breakfast and they come to work and they have problems like the rest of us. So how do you, you have to continuously go back and say, these are the things that matter. So it's the people. And so Steve, in that vein of people, as a CEO, as someone who's worked in the roles of overseeing an entire company, what would you say is like the one tactical thing that you do as a leader to really show people that you think of them first? Well, actually that's my next point. Um, and thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for that. And, and uh, my next point is what I'm calling listen and repeat. Mm, yeah. and, um, and so uh, I think a lot of people think you're listening to them. Um, and, and, I, and I think it's really important. And, and there's a lot of talk of empathy. And I think that's a, a huge uh, um, skill that I think all people, all leaders have to develop within themselves. But what, hap what you really want is when, some when you're listening to somebody talk about what's, what they're facing at whatever time, is that you repeat it back to them. Mm. And you say, here's what I think you're saying to me. 
so you can clarify it so that they actually believe that you did listen to them. You're not just paying lip service to listening. It's easy to pay lip service to listening and then just move on. Instead, what you really want to do is say, I think I understand what you're saying. And, and it's a little harder to do in this world with, with the, um, you know, with virtual meetings with Zoom, but you also want to be with them and watch them and mm -hmm. pick up other cues. Like how do they, how do they seem to be today? Are they off kilter? Is, are, is, is this not kind of the way they usually are? And I think all of that has to be um, assimilated and, and you feed it back to them and say, hey, look, this is, here's what I'm hearing. And then I think that builds trust. Absolutely. Well, um, so that they say, oh, this, this guy's really paying attention. You yeah. know, they, a lot of times people just don't pay attention. They're like, I'm too busy. You know, I've got so right. much to do. My mind is elsewhere. No, I think if you really want people to follow you, you are, you are going to cut everything else out and just focus. Yes. Politics aside, one of the comments I've heard about Bill Clinton, for example, is that when he speaks with you, you think you're the only person. Absolutely. Ever. I've heard the same thing. I've always heard that. And so <laughs> I go, wow, what presence? You know, people want to talk about executive presence. There is no executive presence without presence. So <laughs> we need to be present first. And that requires that we be mindful of where our thoughts are going when we're having this conversation and focusing the thoughts on being here now, being here now. I'm here with Steve now. There's nothing else happening but this conversation. Exactly. And this is the way conversations with the people you work with and, and any of the stakeholders, anybody you are dealing with, frankly, right. is you want to give them your undivided attention. Yes. And you feel so special when people do that to you, for you. You, you feel so heard and, and, and seen. So let's pay it forward. And I know yeah. that it's probably easier said than done. But to that, we would say practice, practice, practice. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. And, and it's, um, it's an art. You know, a, a really quick story. Um, I've been lucky and I've been successful with a lot of deals that I've done because the first paragraph in every proposal that I send back to, to prospects is, here's how we understand your situation. Beautiful. So it's the same concept, right? It's like, if they, if they believe that you know what's going on with them, they'll listen to what you have to say and, and they'll trust you. And that's a great point because we try to always, you know, what was a Napoleon Hill that said, seek first to understand and to be understood? Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey, there you have it. And so here we are, right? We're trying to sell. So we're like, let me tell you about us. It's like, mm, you lost him at let me tell you, <laughs> right? right. Let me hear you. And then let me tell you what I heard you say. I love that, Steve. I love that. All right. So what, would, what is number three for us? Okay, number three. I'll go, uh, so the, this one is teach as fast as you learn. Mm. And so I think anybody who's in a position of leadership is, pretty much a natural learning machine. And, and hopefully that's part of the, your makeup. And if not, you know, seek out ways of learning more. It's, it's whether it's interacting with different people or reading books or, or just, you know, getting mentors. There's a lot of, I think there are some really interesting ways that you can um, in, increase your learning quotient, but then, you know, 
play it back out as soon as you learn it. You know, share all the things that you're excited about learning with the people that you're working with. Beautiful. Uh, because I think that in the, a you're gonna your excitement's gonna show, and b they're gonna feel that you again care about you know what they know and and who knows they that excitement might also wear off on them as well and and cause them to kind of seek out that kind of knowledge well you said at the beginning that you're a learner i i, yeah. I believe that's probably one of your strengths that's one of mine too and most of the people that i work with are learners and growth minded they're always seeking they're very curious very talented very smart and so i know that when we learn we love to share what we learned this is what I heard. And in a way, when we share it, it anchors it too, because right. it also shows how well you absorbed what you learned. And you also realize, you know, I don't remember that little detail. And then you go back and look into it again, because you want to remember that piece of it that you forgot. Exactly. It's like you're playing it back to yourself. It is. It actually is. You know, I got in trouble when I was in corporate, quite frankly, because everybody has different styles. So this is a really brief story. One of the feedbacks that I received from my management was that when I was in meetings, I would repeat what was being said and that that wasn't really adding value. Uh -huh. And what was ironic about that, Steve, what I didn't realize, it was a blind spot for me, is that I was doing that for my own benefit <laughs> because that's how I remember things. I need to repeat them in my head. And so I would say, so what I heard you say was, kind of what you know what you were saying like kind of just playing it back and they were like that's not adding value but i'm like but it is because it's actually making us making sure that we all got it number right. one and that if i didn't get it you could correct me right but notice how the difference in styles was something that was that was not the predominant style therefore i was kind of put on my place because you're not really doing it the way we do it which talks about diversity. People learn differently and we need to be open to how people learn. Oh, absolutely. And, and how people interpret, I mean, if you have a diverse set of people, they are going to look at things through their own lens, absolutely. their own culture, what, you know, whatever their perspective is. And I think the sum total, and, and if you give them the opportunity to share their perception, then you can create a much fuller understanding of anything, frankly, Absolutely. any situation, any challenge. Okay, so the next one I wrote down was know your fears. And I think the flip side of that is work on your fears. And, you know, when we were talking earlier, Jenny, you were, I think the word courage came up. And I think the, that what you really want to do, I think one, one of my early mentors said to me, he, he said something like, hey, Steve, you're never afraid to jump into the deep end of the pool. And um, I sort of wore that as a badge and that sort of became a mantra. It's like, okay, we, we, what we really want to do if we want to learn or if we want to overcome our fears is we have to just confront them directly, just do it. You know, whether it's public speaking or going for a test or interviewing for a job, whatever that is, do it and, and rec maybe recognize that there are fears that we all have I have them. I'm sure you do too. People and have them. And how do you um, articulate them and then address them head on and, and just like go after them, mm -hmm. you know? I don't know that you, it doesn't mean you'll conquer them completely, but at least you'll have experience with them and see how they actually 
affect the outcome and it's usually not as bad as, as never the, you know it's yeah. funny because a lot of people have fear of public speaking that is their yeah. i mean it's one of their biggest fears people rather die than public speak sometimes and i used to yeah, yeah. It, it could be very anxiety generating and um you know just like anything else that we fear when we try it and do it and prepare, because I always say, I would be afraid to public speak too if I didn't prepare for it, because I would be like, what am I gonna talk about? So we do have to take some measures so that we can succeed just like with anything else. If you have a meeting, prepare for your meeting. If you have to put together numbers, put the numbers together, check the numbers, right? All of that. But once you do it, you realize, wait, I didn't fall apart. Nothing happened. Like I'm still standing Yeah, Yeah, you're still standing, you, you didn't melt. But one of the things about fear, Steve, that I noticed is when you acknowledge the fear, you then don't have an excuse not to face it. In other words, many yeah. of us will not even acknowledge it because acknowledging it means that we have to do something about it. Right. So step one, the courageous step is to actually look in the mirror and say, wow, I'm afraid of blank. I've been hesitating right. to reach out to blank because of my the assumptions that I'm making that are creating this fears, the story that I'm telling myself that's generating this paralyzing fear. And so one of the techniques that I teach my clients is, okay, what story are you telling yourself? And then you say it, this is the story I tell myself if I reach out to Steve. And then I go, if that's one scenario, what's another scenario? So you can really expand your perspective and know that, yeah, that's a possibility. And so is he'll be amenable to whatever I say. He will agree. He will, you know, open a door for me. He would or she would, whatever. So it's expanding that perspective that's going to help us get past the fears and get the courage to say, let me take one step and see what happens. Uh, absolutely. And I think the other part of it is also, if you're really transparent, uh, you can you can just tell people this is what I used to be afraid of, you know, yes. and this is what I did to to overcome it as best as I can. Absolutely. And it's never, never complete. And I agree with the fears in terms of what as leaders right now in this hybrid environment, we're facing so many new things that we had not faced before. You know, they are leaders who don't know how to do this. Right. And so being authentic and saying to your team, listen, I've never done this before, so we're going to learn together and I'm going to ask you questions and I'm going to check in with you to see how what I'm doing is working. And if it's not working, we're going to tweak. Yeah. And I think that that's that authenticity and vulnerability develops trust, like you were saying before, instead of pretending that I have to know everything and I have to have all the answers as the leader. Exactly. I think it's it's part of being open. It's part of being, like you said, it's 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 frankness, um, and you 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 know you're okay telling people that you know you're not perfect, <laughs> and and you have these you have flaws as like everybody else. It's funny as if they didn't know it, right? Like oh yeah. I mean, they will tell us our flaws. Trust me. <laughs> or they'll tell them. They'll talk about them behind your back. <laughs> Why not just bring them out in the open? <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Steve. So let's go to number five. Um, and and we, we talked about this during our 15 minute uh, coffee. Uh, I, I forgot how, how you described those. But, the virtual uh, coffee? 
Yeah, the virtual coffee. That was great. Um, and that was, I, I say, encourage dissent. And what I mean by that is, you know, over the years, the best people I had that worked for me were the ones that were willing to disagree with me. And I felt that they were invaluable because I didn't want a bunch of people that just said, oh, it's so you're so smart and that you're absolutely right about that. No, it was the ones that said, no, I don't, I, you know, no, I don't think that's right. Or, and, and what, one of the people you interviewed in your book was saying to give people a safe place where they can disagree or they can voice a different opinion. I think it's, in, it's imperative, especially in the context of diversity, because what you really want is not just a diversity of opinion, but you want a forum where those opinions can actually emerge. Right. And if you don't have that, and if you don't give people permission to disagree with you, what, what are you going to learn? That's sort of a flip side of the learning coin. It really is. I love that. And it goes against what many leaders like. For sure. Yeah. A lot of leaders that I've exposed, have been exposed to through a 30-year career love to surround themselves with yes people people who would just agree with whatever they say and they just say jump and they say how high. And I don't believe that that is the best team. I believe when you question what's being said, even from, from a perspective of understanding it better and curiosity, well, how would this piece work? Or what do you mean by that? And have you thought about this? I think that that's required. That's, that's part of bringing your all of your resources to the table and not holding back. And to your point, create, creating that psychological safety where the team feels that if they say something that's contrary to what you're saying, that they won't be punished or, right. or be considered not a team player because that's what people who are the contrarians, people who dissent are called or dubbed not a team player. Right. And, and it's, it's actually, we have to get rid of that. It's, uh, it's unfortunate shorthand because it mischaracterizes the value that they're bringing, for sure. Absolutely. So I do yeah. like the angle of also having this encouraged dissent mindset that it will become, it will make you a more inclusive leader. Absolutely. I think that's, the, that's one of the uh, outcomes of that as well, for sure. Um, and the last one I, I, I wrote down was what I, I call it uh, master expectations. And um, I don't, I'm sure everybody can relate that to people you've worked with, even, even people you are friends with, um, but especially at work, where they just really set inappropriate or overly optimistic expectations. And one of the things I always tell people is that it's really hard to change reality, but it's really easy to change your expectations of reality. <laughs> and, um, and so it, when you're setting expectations, you're really almost making a promise. And if you can't meet those, if you're, if you're uncomfortable setting, you know, oh, so-so, not glorious expectations, but if you're, if you're honest about it, if you're saying, here's where I really think we are, here's where I think we're going to go. Or when, when you hire somebody and say, oh, you're going you're gonna to be a star in this company. You're just going to rise up. We're gonna, you'll, get, you'll get promoted in six months. I think what ends up happening is that people start to mistrust 
what you say. Absolutely. And so I, and I think one of the things you say in your book is you have to watch what words you use. And part of the things that you use words for is setting expectations. And I think that's a very, that takes a while to figure out, in my opinion. I think it's, you, you're always going to want to be optimistic and, and, and paint the world differently. That's the tendency, right? Where the temptation is to say, here's how great things are. But let's, wouldn't you rather work with somebody who's going to tell you like it is instead of how they think it should be? I agree. It is, words are so powerful. And Brene Brown talks about the power of words. And I think her latest book, uh, Atlas of the Heart, I believe is the name of her latest book, uh, focuses on words and how we use, humans use words. I agree with you. If I'm with my, my leader and my leader is only focused on the upside and does not acknowledge the downside or the fears or the challenges that we have in front of us, it's, it makes you question their credibility. Doesn't it? Exactly. And then what else should I be questioning? Right. It's the old saying, you know, if you lie to me once, I don't know if I believe anything else you're going to say to me. True. I mean, that's a fixed mindset, right? Thinking that you'll never change again, but good point. And as leaders, we have to be careful. The message that I'm gleaning from you, Steve, is to be careful because in the spirit of wanting to be positive and wanting to help your people and your talent, you may say things that even you don't believe because you realize that, yes, we are going to shoot for that goal, but we know we have obstacles to get there. And together we will address the issues and the problems and the challenges so that we can remove the, the boulders on the way and get to that destination. But no, I know that there's boulders, huge right. ones and smaller ones, but we, we're going to have challenges along the way and we're going to work together to overcome them. Totally agree. And and I think that's part of the expectation setting. The expectation is we want to be here. And like you said, but this is what it's going to take. It's not going to be easy. I love this, Steve. So we have, can you just read them to us, the six of them again? Sure. (laughs) First is remember it's people. Then listen and repeat Teach as fast as you learn, know your fears, encourage dissent, and master expectations. I love it. These are such powerful, powerful insights. And I really thank you for being with us today. And I want people to know that if you need support from Steve and his team in terms of if you are struggling, if you find yourself stuck at a level in your business where you wish you could get to that next stratosphere and you don't know how that Steve is one of the resources that we're making available to you. So Steve, how can people reach you? Um, Well, they can get to me at Steve at dbpartners.co. That's the name of our, our little company. We're just two guys, but we, the, the the one thing that I want to say is different is that we actually we will be individual contributors. We're not just going to give you strategy, but we actually do the work. Um, and it could be in sales and marketing and product management. Where I've been so many times is faced with these really big objectives and incomplete map on how to get to them. 
And a lot of it has to do with, I just don't have the people I need. And so we come in to, to fill some of those gaps. So strategy as well as tactical. Well, I think what we do is we help with the strategy, but then we actually execute on it. Absolutely. That's great. And I love that when you share that with me earlier when we met. So thank you so much, Steve, for being with us. I appreciate you. I look forward to continuing our journey. And now we are part of each other's network. And I'm sure I can see ourselves collaborating in the future again. Uh, Jenny, thanks so much. It was a privilege to be here today. Hi, this is Dr. Ginny Barrow. The story so far is that many talented female leaders in mid-careers in the corporate world struggle to find their footing. I was one of them. But now we know from the research by McKinsey and Company that organizations with more than 30% of women executives are more likely to outperform companies where this percentage is between 10 to 30%. Like many of the companies we partner with, you may be struggling to help your high potential female leaders retool and grow into senior leadership ranks and advance your diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging efforts. So in 2020, I created the Fearless Leadership Mastermind Program, a leadership training that will give you a competitive advantage with a scalable solution that is ready to go no more waiting. You may be thinking, Ginny, this isn't going to be easy. And you're right. Behavioral change takes time. And I know we will succeed because our program has already helped committed high potential female leaders of all backgrounds in STEM fields, financial services, and Fortune 500 companies in only six months. Let's partner to implement this unique and proven leadership training to fast track your talented female leaders to advance in your company with a sense of belonging. I wish I had this training during my corporate career of over 25 years. It would have made a world of difference. Today as a CEO, I'm grateful to support my partners and the female leaders in our program in reaching their full potential and that feels very nice visit flmprogram.com to learn more and set up a cyber coffee with me to get started if you enjoyed our content subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and if you want to stay in touch and hear from us, join our community to receive valuable strategies and expert advice at executivebound.com. Join our movement to heal leadership around the world. See you soon.